0: Smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. It's Smashing.
1: In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we take a look at design storytelling. What is it and how can it help us shape digital experiences? Fidley Talks to Chiara Aliotta to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help.
0: It's your weekly update.
1: In fine-grained access handling and data management with row-level security, Attila Fasina states that there are a few different reasons your app might need data access management, be it security and privacy, industry standards compliance, or data access control. Multi-tenant user is a commonly used architecture, and therefore you need a reliable way to manage access to it. In this article, Attila takes a look at what row-level security means. Slava Shastopolov brings us a comprehensive checklist for running design workshops. Workshops are all about people. They involve people, are conducted by people, and aim to close the gaps in people's communication. In this article, Slava shares a checklist with everything you need to keep in mind when running such a workshop. Yeah! In Beyond Algorithms – Skills of Designers that AI Can't Replicate, Lyndon Soreo highlights that the recent explosion of artificial intelligence tools for everything from writing to design has creators and designers concerned that their job functions could be replaced by AI. While AI has been programmed to perform well at certain tasks, it cannot replace the skills and behaviours of designers that are critical to the human aspect of design. This article highlights the non-technical skills designers routinely use in their process to make a difference through design. Bravo! Zach Grossbart and Terry Yao look at how to protect your app with a threat model based on Jason Diff. If you're a developer who wants to concentrate on delivering a killer application rather than worrying about countless security issues, threat model documents can be a tool to help you do that. With small architectural changes, you can make these threats manageable and prevent them in the future. This article explores how to build your own threat model using JSON diff as an example. Oh, yeah. And in how to design an effective user onboarding flow, Suzanne Skacker points out that if you've been building an amazing SaaS product, it's only a matter of time before users flock to it in droves, right? Well, unfortunately, the drop-off and inactivity rate can be high with apps. One way to overcome this challenge is by designing an onboarding process that helps users recognize the app's potential and motivates them to use it. In this article, Suzanne demonstrates how, with the help of Feathery, you can design an effective user onboarding flow for your app. That is your weekly update. Find all these
0: and more at smashingmagazine.com/articles.
2: She's an award-winning graphic designer, art director, and brand consultant working on digital products, print, editorial, UX, and branding. She has founded Until Sunday, a design studio focusing on regional branding and visual communication. Now, in her work, she usually wears many different hats, designing for large and small organizations, such as Joomla, PAMS Foundation, Special Magazine, Actions Aid Hellas and Medicine South Frontiers, a co-running an art gallery, managing a personal lifestyle brand and speaking at creative events. Now, she also strongly believes in the power of storytelling and incorporates it in every project she works on. When she's not working, you will find her traveling, capturing photographs, or taking a dip in the sun dappled Asian Sea. And, of course, she's a cat person living with her wonderful husband and her wonderful cat Kisa on the heavenly Greek island of Syros in the Asian Sea. So, we know she's a wonderful designer and illustrator, but did you know that she also absolutely loves typography and children pop-up books? My smashing friends, please welcome Chiara Liotta. Hello, Kara. How are you doing today?
0: I'm smashing. Hi, Vitaly. <laughs>
2: Hello, Kara. Hello. Thank you so much for coming along. We have so many questions. We have so many things to yeah. discuss. And it's okay. It's unbelievable because every time I see you, you smile, every time I see you smiling, you always think about something. You always dream about something. You always have a story that you're sharing, right? And I really want us to start today by exploring your story first. So before we dive into storytelling. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you even end up in this wonderful world of design in the first place?
0: Okay. So let me tell you like a story. So once upon a time, there was a little girl. She was probably five years old and asked her mother, Mom, is there a job where you can actually draw something every day and you can get paid for it? And the mother answered, Yes, you can be a painter like your grandfather. So that little girl was me, five years old, wondering if there was a job where I could actually always draw things that I like and that I see around me. And I ended up doing art school. And then from that, I moved into design because I started the Polytechnic of Milan. And this is where my design journey actually started when I was 18. I left Sicily in Italy to go in Milan, still in Italy, but in the north. And discovered the world of design, while in uh, Sicily, no one knew about design or what was design. The closest thing to design was architecture, but architects and designers are not really the same thing. So yeah, so it was a quite a journey because I had to convince everyone in my family that uh, I was going to make money out of this job. And uh, it was quite a thing. I met the only female girl and moving abroad, and in Sicily, we are always like taking care of the girls. So it was quite a fight with the family before I could actually do what I wanted in my life. And the reason I decided to study design, it was because I wanted to design toys and furniture for children. So that was my goal. And uh, I ended up in doing a master in communication design. And this is where I discovered the world of branding and I love it so much that since that day, I didn't go back to toys. For me, everything is a playground, so it's almost the same. But yeah, branding and brand consulting is what I'm enjoying right now a lot to do and uh with different brands from print to digital products
2: so. i can see that for me it's always very fascinating i would say just to see the journey that people take when they get from one place to another in their life and then i always feel like it's always this either hyper coincidences or just random people that you meet somewhere that kind of really motivate you i remember a story when i was growing up i had an uncle or maybe it wasn't even an uncle i didn't even know because i saw him only once But I remember him coming to me once, and I was sitting, I was very young, very small, like then, I don't know, maybe six, seven years old. And he drew something like, I think, crocodiles, so on a napkin at the time. And I was so impressed by that. I kept that napkin for a very long time until I think I probably lost it or so. But it had such a tremendous impact on me. Did you have those kind of things that really drove you to design? Or did you just want to draw things since you were a child?
0: I think my inspiration was my grandfather, who I never met. My my mom was talking very high with him. And my grandmother's house, which was my family place, uh, was full of paintings from my grandfather. So the thing that someone could actually leave by just drawing for me was like, mind-blowing because I was like, wow, can you actually do this for a living? I was very much discouraged by my family somehow to become a painter, but they never say no to my decision to go to art school. So that was also good. But yeah, I guess my grandfather played a big role into this decision, and probably because I never met him, he became like a me or like an important figure that I wanted somehow to be close to because everyone had a very strong idea and uh, image of him.
2: But then off you went all the way to becoming a branding mm-hmm. you know, branding consultant as well at this point. But actually, when I think about branding, I think that many of our dear listeners will be in the same spot as well. I often think about branding, is it just, I don't know, a logo and a bit of a tagline maybe? And sometimes you see this in advertising, like a melody or like this tune, which is two, three seconds long. And maybe even if you go to extremes, like a color palette and typography, right? Um, but I can sense from the way you're smiling is that you see branding as something slightly broader than that. Could you explain that?
0: Yeah, okay. You touch a very hot spot right now because I probably had a lot of discussion about this with clients. And, and slowly I've been educating them into understanding the brand is not the logo or the tagline or the color palette. For me, and in general, for many in the field, a brand is how you make your customers feel about it, when they experience your products or service. So it's not anymore something physical. It's just something that it's emotional. And it's a very important aspect when we design anything, any touch points. That could be an application, could be a brochure, anything really, even a stand, even a conference. That's an experience. When thinking about smashing conference, this is an experience more than, of course, you have your logo, you have your timelines, you have everything, but what you're providing is uh, an experience and that is your brand. This is what you bring with you, no matter where you are. If you're in San Francisco, New York or in Freiburg, it doesn't really matter. That's what it for me is a brand is the consistency of an experience that no matter how you decline it, then It's always the same for the customer, for the final customer. So there was definitely a time where a logo, color palette, or a tagline were enough to make the difference. And this was even, maybe I was not even born (laughs) when this was still valid because there was an economy based on manufacturing physical products. So that was, I'm going to say, that was more like, there was less competition, first of all. And there were less products on the shelf, so you don't have to really show up too much. There was not talking about experience. The economy of the experience is something that we talk about today, and it's been around for a while. And this is where the brand start to become a bigger player. So when the client asks me for a logo or the color palette or the tagline, I usually call it the identity. I never call it like the brand. The brand is something else, and it goes just beyond all this. It's one part is probably made of the logo, but it's never about the logo. It's always about how mm. people feel.
2: But then I'm wondering also to, as well at this point, so where does it stop? right? Because if you think about the experience that you're providing, the website is an experience, the customer service is an experience. And you will see that sometimes we have this kind of terms also in, in the industry, customer experience design, service design, obviously user experience design as well. So how do you... Where do you set, let's say, the frame or the limitations of the boundaries of your work? Is it because if somebody is coming to you and they want to have you to design the branding, do you also design things like voice and tone of the copy that they're Mm. writing? Do you also design, I don't know, things like the personality, the illustrations, the characters, and whatever they want to have? Or would you say that there are particular limitations that branding typically has after Mm. all?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. It really depends by the brief and the budget of the customers. This is first of all, one important thing. This is first of all, the limit. Then of course, as you say, everything could be brand and indeed it is. So you produce under the name of something that it could be, I don't know, like I just seen like smashing because I just took as an example. So whatever you build under smashing brand has to fill up the same experience. So the same experience of the community it has to be consistent in everything you do. Now, when it comes to tone of voice uh, or things that are very specific, like even a video editing, like how we're going to design the entering tone of uh, the Smashing podcast. So that also, it's part of the branding. So you usually go back to the tone of voice that you set up for your, for the Smashing magazine, maybe. And then you go back and say, okay, it has to be fun. Maybe we can have some cats meowing. And then you start thinking how all this could come together. That doesn't mean I'm going to be the person. I usually go into a very high level aspect of the brand. So it could be indeed the tone of voice. It could be indeed the keywords we're going to use. And then based on that, there are specific people, video editors, copywriters who are going to take my work and interpret it like it's a script. Actually, that's what it is. Usually... That's what a brand manual is. It works like a script so that everybody can follow it, and And of course, it, it needs some kind of interpretations too. So my work finished when I define the brand in all the aspects, thinking of how it can be declined in a very high level. And after that, there are specific people joining and coming and working with that script, let's say, which is usually it's a brand manual which is wider sometimes. If you have applications, it could be more than a brand manual. It can go down to design system as well. That's part of the branding for me because it's another way to experience but a digital product. There are little things. So you define those things up very high level and then you find people working with you in defining the tiny bits of the brand. So it could be then, as you say, it could be the copywriting, the task the illustrations and so on.
2: What I really like about this approach, seeing it in this way, is that it provides us with some opportunities to do something really interesting with branding. I mean, I know that you've been very vocal and very interested in how to connect storytelling and branding. Maybe before diving into storytelling, though, I'm very curious just about your feelings today about brands per se. So if I think about brands, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, I had this strong feeling, and please correct me if I'm wrong, have the strong feeling that many brands could be neutral in so many things. They didn't need to take a stand. They didn't need to have an opinion. They were for everybody. And this is how I perceive not all brands, of course, but some brands. So, for example, it would be very uncommon for a brand to have a political opinion about how things should be or express it on, of course, not on social media, but in print or in advertising. It was more about the product and really kind of advertising for marketing and all that for the product. And now I have the strong feeling that it's impossible. You can't be a brand and you can be a brand, but you cannot survive if you don't have principles that you stand behind. If you are afraid to make somebody or some of your customers unhappy, you really, if you want to speak to anybody at this point, you have to alienate somebody just because you have to stand for something. So do you see it in a similar way? when it comes to branding? Or would you say that many brands can be perfectly fine being neutral around topics that are happening in, in society or in the world?
0: So that's a very good question. Probably it's about the evolution of brand. I think the brand, every brand or any, uh, it's um, political somehow, if you want to say this way. So they need to stand, they need to have a culture, they need to have a belief and values. So all these words, are already defining what you're standing for. Uh, maybe in the past it was easier because you were talking to the mother with the children or the father working until late at night. Now we're talking to communities and this is something that's changed because of the social media. So what we do is usually all together. We are always influenced by what other people are doing. We feel more and more that we need to belong to something. And this is something that social media is probably, I'm going to say, exasperated. But the sense of community is so strong that now when, you, when a brand talks to a community, it identifies himself with the community values and what they believe. So definitely that means that a lot of people are going to be cut out from the, that brand culture or values. And it's fine because if you want to please everyone, probably you're not going to please every everyone anyway. So you have to be very, I'm going to say, loyal to yourself. It's about consistency. It's about being true to yourself. So the brand needs to stand for something. And I recall when I was at a conference in New York and there was Debbie Millman. She did an amazing talk about how brands actually stand for a cause and how they can become a real propeller for a change. And I really love the talk because she actually was nailing it because she showed how everything every movement now has become a brand and and how they actually this is the power of branding and this is a and this is an amazing aspect of branding, especially when for central causes are bigger than enough so as a unit as small people we can do very little, but as a community we can really make a big change so that's my take on this,
2: yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I, I still have to bring up one question about branding. I know that we want to speak about sport storytelling. But one thing that really surprised me, and I think it was actually quite a I don't know, viral thing, I guess, for a while, maybe a couple of years ago before pandemic, where all of a sudden many fashion brands decided that it's a good idea to redesign and they kind of rebranded and they ended up becoming quite generic. So the the logos that they ended up having are very generic. The websites very generic. Even the copywriting of the, how the emails were sent very generic. But then on the other hand, what has been happening also is that you look at music industry and you look at you know festivals happening, and every single DJ, every single music producer needs to have their own brand. They all like whenever you have this wall of DJs that are playing, they all have their own branding in a way with their own sometimes even custom designed typefaces. On the other hand, you also have these big institutions like banks, huge banks. They don't know, should we now be more kind of citizen-centric and then more playful or not be more conservative and traditional because we're managing other people's finances and all that. So I do want to ask you at this point, where do you see, what would be the right way of putting it? Where do you see maybe the storytelling, right? Where do you see it fitting well? And where it doesn't, you do you think that pretty much every organization, small and large, every company, every every product can benefit from integrating storytelling as a part of the experience?
0: My answer is yes. And I'm completely biased because...
2: I think you're a little <laughs> bit biased. Yes.
0: I believe in the power of storytelling. And that's my motto. And I guess it will always be because I have a proof that this is working. But... It really depends what storytelling is, because what you call storytelling, because storytelling could be, I'm telling a story about something very specific and about our customers doing, I don't know, going. I'm just thinking about one of the most famous story that I recall when I was young. It was a very child. It was with Barilla, the pasta brand worldwide known, And they were, their story was always around the family as a mother, father and children. And this was the story of the family joining together, and the pasta was the thing that was keeping them together because it was a time when they were eating. So they were all at school, the children were at school, the mom was probably working somewhere, the father was coming home, and then the moment of reunion was the pasta. So the pasta barilla became the symbol of family. This has changed, of course, with time because the family now is broader now, and we have a lot of gender consideration to do based on that, but has been changing. And this is a story. This is a story translating to an advertising. Then there is a story as an approach, like a methodology, which is what the, the banks and other institutions could actually use. And I've been using this a lot with organizations where, especially the not-for-profit ones, because most of the time they, when they work, they focus on analyzing the wrong side of the story. But most of the time is the effects your action do that you need to reflect on. And this is where storytelling comes to play because through the approach, you start following your customer and understanding their emotional journey. And this is where you start to understand that probably the story of a child dying every day is not, this is, it's not the one you want to promote. It's the one that you save every day is the one you want to promote because that is going to give you the climax, which is what you want in a story. So so we are not going to tell, of course, the story of a child dying somewhere or someone, I don't know, losing their house because of the earthquake like happened, unfortunately, of all these disaster. We just try to tell a different story. And so the storytelling approach is mostly a background methodology that helps define what our message is going to be. So it's not going to transform into an advertising necessarily, but it's going to be. I can say the narrative behind everything we are going to do and say. So that's the difference. It's what could be a story. So the advertising I told you before, it's It's a story that you see happening in front of your eyes. And then there is the background storytelling, the approach itself, which helps you to actually identify the right message. So I see storytelling apply to everything because there are many ways to apply it. It just we need to decide what's the best case and the best scenario. For applying it
2: talking about the best scenario i think i have just the question that i wanted to ask for a long time about specifically how to apply storytelling and obviously it would be very interesting to see your design process and i heard rumors that you have just published an article about that on smashing magazine so thank you so much for that <laughs> but also i know that you've been working with a crypto platform in trying to embed storytelling in there and i'm just really have to ask i'm just really curious how do you work to integrate storytelling into these kind of environments or banks or public institutions or some very conservative environments. I can see it being almost almost straightforward for brands that care about fashion or that care about work-life balance or they care about the lifestyle brands. Mm-hmm. That's probably relatively straightforward, although please feel free to correct me at this point. But I'm really curious how you would try to bring in some sort of storytelling in this slightly Less straightforward, I would say, environments.
0: Okay. Let me tell you a little bit, because I think there is always a misconception about storytelling. Because let's say, first of all, I don't start my meetings with the client saying, once upon a time, as I did with you when I was talking about myself. So I usually... Oh, you No, do not. I don't. <laughs> they would probably throw kidding. me out of the office. Like, what's just talking about? No, never. So the storytelling is a more subtle thing, and I never uh, undisclosed it in the way. Hey, guys, I do storytelling. They would never understand everything. What are we? What? Are you a screenwriter, a novel writer? I'm still a designer. So what I actually do is, what I was telling you before, is that I use storytelling as an approach. So when I meet them for the first time, I usually ask all the questions that help me to fill up the script, my script. That stays with me is the behind the scene that you have seen that you can read now on the you know, Smashing Magazine article that I wrote about the landing page we designed together for smart interface, the design pattern. So is exactly that script, but you were never going to see it. What you're going to see is the final movie. It's what you're going to see in the cinema. You're not going to see the behind the scene. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to feel. All the blank spaces of my script, or what cut, what scene I cut, and what other actually went into the final movie. So, what I usually do is I usually follow the storytelling structure: so the beginning, middle, and end, to help the user be with me on the creative ride, so that they actually know exactly what to expect, when, and how, so that they can actually provide me the feedback I need when I need them. And this is what a director of movie will do. They will ask the actor to say specific line because this is like, no, shot, cut, done. This is what I do. I just direct the scene and I provide specific elements that I wish them to answer. So the clients answer me in specific times, so they don't feel too overwhelmed. And, and what I see at the end is the, the final product. So the final movie or the final book they will never see the correction and all the things that went through it unless i write an article as i did so that's the the storytelling thing so i usually go through the story brand script that donna miller provide in his book uh the story brand and then from there i start filling up the single spaces and um and if the clients want to hear of course i'm happy to but Really, they want to go straight to the climax of the story. They just want to see this what it, what I came up with. So I just go very quickly through the different steps, but very quickly. And then go into, okay, this is a final product. And and this is where they actually, usually they have this wow moment. I still remember actually your wow moment when you saw the Smashing Book 6. I still remember that.
2: Oh yes, I remember that vividly because everything is coming together all of a sudden because What I think that, I have a strong feeling that very often when people like something, it's not just because it's aesthetically pleasing or a nice typography or anything like that. It's just something clicks. And that something clicks when you actually see, or not necessarily see, but you perceive the connections. So for the Smashing Book and also for the landing page, the idea of having all these different elements that kind of have their own life at first, but then put together, they bring everything else to life as well. But they also, like, I, I, the only kind of best way of how I compare it in my, in my head is they're playing in an orchestra. So it's not every single element is doing their own thing, and you have this horizontal line that looks like this, and you have these little characters there having, you know, this, and then you have this image corners looking like that. Like, whenever everything really fits well together, it's always like they're playing in an orchestra like some sort of a symphony or anything. And I think that people notice that. They might not necessarily be able to articulate it, and point it directly. I don't I know exactly why it's done this way, but it's almost like you're hiding a little bit of gems or Easter eggs every now and again here throughout your design for people to discover. It's like a treasure hunt almost. So, this is at least my feeling about it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I really agree with you. And uh, that effect is uh, like magic for me when it happens. It's like when you watch a movie and you really like and you can watch it again and every time you find something different in the movie that you didn't notice the first time. And I really like this kind of uh, feeling. If I can say evoke this feeling, for me, it's like one thing in the box. Actually, it's one of the highest things that I can hope for my work. Like when somebody noticed things that were there, but I haven't told them, but they notice it and yeah, this is amazing. This is magic for me. And, and that's why again, I believe in storytelling so much because only with storytelling, you can put all these pieces together to work together well and also to create sequels if you want to and expand that story even more. That's what storytelling can help you to. And yeah, I'm happy that you feel this way because that's uh, the highest achievement for. A design
2: that. Like. Yeah. Also, just to maybe go a little bit more into the process on it. So you would literally sit down and take a piece of paper and think about the plot, think about the climbers, think about the Aristotle's arc, maybe a story arc, or the heroes in the story and the rivals and, I don't know, all these different things. And really map them before you start designing. Or does it help you to design the elements that will then go into the composition? Or would you say that it guides you towards the structure, the layout of the page, or both?
0: Depends. Depends how... It depends really the kind of work. When it comes to branding, because it's a little bit more complicated, I usually go through the values and all the elements of the story. So value, emotions, and actions that we want the user to do with the brand. or So all these things. And I really need to create like a plot for that because there are so many variables happening when it comes to brand. When it comes to landing page, like the one we designed together for your course, usually I use the the landing page as a shot. And I the first thing I do is really divided the landing page in three scenes, the opening, middle and closing scene. And then I start to fill up with the elements I already asked you about the story. For example, you remember I asked you, okay, how do you want the people to buy your course? And what else are you providing? Is there any gift? These are all things that help me then. I position them inside the page between the different acts, And this is how I start to build the story for you. And to ensure that actually we can move from one act to another one. So I put some delight. So, for example, you were telling me, oh, there will be a gift for the people on limited access to the deck. And I was like, okay, we need to put it somewhere. And on the website, it needs to be just before maybe they sign up. So it's going to be a delight moment of surprise that's going to convince them that this is the right way to go. And I try not to use, I don't know, dark patterns, but of course, the idea is always to propel the, the to the final action. I just want people to finally go to the end. So it really depends. But when it, for example, for your, for your landing page, uh, it was difficult to find the central theme, the concept, how can we look different okay we're talking about video course but yeah but how can we make it a little bit more memorable so the people saying oh this is something this seems different it seems interesting how can we can keep this curiosity and playing around because it's, the designers are very difficult to please so you were talking with a very difficult audience so i am one of them so I'll try not to put myself in that shoes but of the shoes of the customer but I have to feel some empathy about a designer who wants to discover a little bit more about UX design and design patterns. So the playful side of the illustration was a, probably the most difficult part because, I mean, we're like, oh, my God, we're going to talk about food now. But yeah, he's in the kitchen. Oh, my God, everything leads over there to food experience. Oh, yeah, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be a food experience. So that was me, like, talking to myself, putting down the notes and I was like, yeah, this is going to be, this it. They'll for the students now. I need to transform the cogs into fish cakes. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it. Yeah, that was exactly what happened. So I don't know if I answer your question, but uh... yeah, of
2: course, yeah, this is this is just ex- exciting to get a little, I would say, peek behind the scenes. But I also just wondering at this point. So if you, as you keep evolving and you create all these worlds that you then put and bring into life when it comes to designs and all does it happen to you sometimes that you create this universe almost that actually incorporates all the different aspects of the brand, aspects of the company, and the values that they believe on, the culture, and all that? But then the project is done. You move on to other projects, right? But they need to maintain or evolve that universe that you have created. And I'm wondering, does it work? Because again, this involves everything, right? Because again, as I mentioned, when it comes to branding, It's a voice and tone is how you do the marketing, how you design your advertising spots or banners and you send out emails through your email list and all. Do you also do some sort of, I don't know, do you write actually the script as well or would you advise companies to do that to make sure that you actually speak in the same voice that independent of what touch points the customer is going to be experiencing or going through with the brand or the company?
0: Usually when I, okay, let's talk about brand because it's a little bit more my sphere, but I will say then it probably open up to all the other things I design. So when I approach a brand, usually they have what is called a design brief. That is like a a blueprint for anyone approaching the design of any part of the design to read what we have decided up from. It contains the vision, the mission. I know the brand manual could have that too, but this is very specific. It really have, uh, it's called design brief because you read this part, this piece of paper, which usually is made of a few pages, and you really understand what kind of uh, elements are coming to play when you design something for this company. And then you have the brand man. That's also combined. You get a very full picture of what it is going to be. The brand, whatever you're going to design, this has to be. You, Someone has to be aware that there are these two documents. And usually I provide both of them. It was really one well for startups, uh, especially because with startups, I've been working for a long time with blockchain, especially the last two years. During the pandemic, blockchain was probably one of the best industry to work with. and And a lot of startups started and they wanted to have documents so that the product, while evolving, could actually follow up What we have decided, it's always an evolving procedure with startups, so you never know how the product will end up, how it's going to look like. When it comes to simply products that are digital, like an application, then it's a little bit more difficult. I usually like to provide elements, bits and bytes of the interface, also extra that may be used in the future, just in case, just to give an idea of what it can look like. I want to call these design system. They're not. They're just the elements of the user interface that I provide extra. But most of the time, I just leave, how can I say, I just leave it to the interpretation of the developer to come with some ideas about that. And I have clients that I'm coming back and say, oh, our developer designed this bit. Can you look at it? Does it look in brand for you? And Sometimes it's good. They're being reused at some pieces, which is great because what I do is usually design by module. So they just take pieces together and they form the new component. Sometimes it's not that good, that then it when it's a bigger part of the design, maybe they come back to me and ask me, please, Kara, can we continue our story together? Can you think about something for this specific element of the website or the application? And now we move forward from there. It's more working. I don't know. I think about the sequels or, I don't know, Stranger Things. Okay. It's okay. They make, or maybe, oh no, maybe I will say some movies like where a different director working together and then at the end you have a nice melting pot, but it's nice, it doesn't look like strange. Because all of them, they pick up from where the other has left. So sometimes they call me to review some of these pieces and uh, And it's a nice moment because uh, you refresh a little bit the brand, you refresh a little bit what you said, and uh, you hope they will follow up from there on with their own stats most of the time it's it's easy right. it's easy then, but I usually have been called back to review big pieces of design just because they didn't feel it was quite right as they were done,
2: yeah, I think this also can be almost like a never ending story when it comes to this kind of embedding storytelling or evolving. The brand and so on. And fortunately, there is a wonderful chance that our wonderful readers or readers or listeners can get to join one of your upcoming workshops where are I think, going to look into just that. And it's called The Power Story- of Storytelling. And it's taking place in March, in about a month or so from now. Maybe you could share, us, share a bit of a few insights with us about what it will be about and why all the wonderful people who are listening to this now should absolutely go ahead and join you in that adventure.
0: Okay, so first of all, thank you for mentioning it and thank you for the opportunity to actually be able to run this workshop with the Smashing community. So it's a quite interesting workshop because I've been running this live here on the Island of Zeros on a very basic level because the students are very young and they're very new to storytelling. And when I decided that we can do a high level workshop online. And because I imagine to be, it's going to be a very interactive workshop because we're going to start by analyzing the fundamentals of storytelling. So again, it's not going to be once upon a time. Okay, we can start every day of the five sessions, say once upon a time, but it actually is going to be uh, a real diving deep into the elements and methodologies of storytelling. So how we actually divide and map the user journey so if you think about user journey map and the hero's journey and emotional journey, forget about it. Because we are going to write a script for an Oscar word application or product that every user is going to love. So in general, this is what I want. I want to teach and want the, my student participant to to learn how to use storytelling in a way to create products that are memorable. So it's not going to be the beautiful illustration, but it's mostly like how we can make an experience memorable for the user. Then it doesn't matter how you decline it. It matters that it's consistent. So it's a mix of user experience, probably a little bit of understanding of interface design, because we're going to do it for a digital product mostly. But then after that, once you apply the, and you learn this methodor- methodology, then you can apply it to everything you want. Whatever it's your project, you can just take this methodology and apply it to everything else. To your next project that is in Pixel or in print or just an experience for a venue, it really doesn't matter because it, that's the beauty of storytelling and of this process that you can really apply it almost everywhere.
2: Well, if this is not exciting, I don't know what this, right? So I'm very much looking forward to this as well. So on the power of storytelling, which is going to be taking place with Kiara in a month. Just to wrap up at this point, maybe I do have to ask one final question that I like asking because it gives us a little bit of a hint about what people who are in here on the Smashing Podcast are really interested in. Um, Do you have a particular dream project? Something that you maybe would love to work one day? Just to give you a few ideas, right? Some of the people we interviewed are going really big. They want to necessarily have the option to design one of the rockets that are going to go to the moon. That could be the ambition. But it could also be just something as simple as a series of children books. That's perfectly fine as well. Do you have a particular dream projects that you would like to realize one day, Chiara?
0: I'm a dreamer and I honestly I think I live a life that is already close to what I dream of. But they are always new dreams coming up. So one thing I would like to do is on the field of storytelling, I really would like to create like a little empire around this idea and methodology that I want to share with the people because I've seen it, the magic of transformation that happens behind storytelling. So I would like to write a nice book or things that are Maybe pop up book as well, something different that about storytelling and the approach and the methodologies behind storytelling. That's one dream I had, and to become a more more like a mentor in this field because I think I have a lot to share. Just sometimes you don't have the time to do that. You start writing a book yeah. or writing on things you you've been through, just for sharing, and so the other people don't have to experience the same. They can just jump. At the end of the book, and can read how it's ending so you know who is the killer. This kind of thing. I would like to share more so that no one has to endure what I endure because because there is no need because you can live out the experience of someone else. So that's one dream. and the other dream is something that I'm working because it was a dream until two years ago because of the pandemic. It couldn't have happened before. And I'm putting together a little hub here in Cirrus of designers that are on the island, because the pandemic brought so many people working remotely, they don't want to live anymore on a big city, and they want to live in a nice place with a sea two meter away. And so I start to meet a lot of people interested in design, and there is a design school here, and so I think there are the right basis for creating a nice hub for. A nice spot on Cirrus to be like in the map of the destination for designers. So I'm working on it right now with some other professional creatives in the field, and not only, but also musicians and shoot experts. So I have an entourage of people that we've been thinking and discussing how this could happen. And I don't know, i keep you posted because I don't know where it's time. Oh, heading. yes, please. And maybe, I don't know, really you can do a smashing edition, summer edition, smashing conference, summer edition on Zeros one night because, yeah. That
2: sounds very exciting that indeed. would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, well, excellent. If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Chiara, you can find her on Twitter where she is at Chiara Aleotta, on Instagram where she is until Sunday Agency, and also on her homepage, beautiful homepage, until sunday.it thanks so much for joining us today kiara do you have any parting words of wisdom or for people who might be listening to the show i don't know 10 or 15 years from now where storytelling is just everywhere anything that you'd like to send to the future a message to the future generations Um,
0: uh, i just think about it is designed always to put the smile in the face of your customers. So if storytelling is one way, please do it. If you know other ways, please share it. This is Smashing.
1: And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends.
0: Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at Smashing Mag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food.